Happy Thursday and welcome to Not Boring. That was, of course, Men at Work, Land Down Under. And I chose it because today we're writing about an Australian company for the first time, Snappa. And I promise I won't do that the whole time, but there will be a lot of puns. Anyway, I've been writing about Web3 a lot recently. There are a bunch of reasons for that, but one of the main ones is that I'm just a business model nerd and new tools create opportunities for new business models. But I love digging into innovative and clever models wherever I find them. And today's focus, Snapper, is a perfect example. It started as an on-demand self-service marketplace for professional photography. And by listening to its clients, it's built an enterprise SaaS and API offering uniquely enabled by the self-service business. It's a model and product roadmap that you probably couldn't have drawn up ahead of time, but that makes perfect sense looking backwards. And it's a case study in how to build an API-first business last, once all the right pieces are in place. Now, today's post is a sponsored deep dive on a company that I invested in through Not Boring Capital. As always, I only write sponsored deep dives on companies I would invest in, and in most cases, I actually have. You can read my thought process on deep dives that I link to in the post at notboring.co. I'll always disclose my conflicts, and I do believe that no conflict, no interest. Now let's get to it. Snapper, building API first, last. Every big API first business looks like it's just software, just a few lines of code, until you look under the hood. There, you'll find all sorts of complexity. Abstracting it away is the API's raison d'etre. Most API-first giants like Stripe, Twilio, and Plaid start with software and realize that getting the software right actually requires a lot of undercover schlep. Snapper, on the other hand, started with the hardest part first. It built an on-demand, self-service, B2C-centric photography marketplace before realizing that all that work put it in the perfect position to build the software infrastructure for the lifeblood of the internet, visual content. Other companies have tried to build photography marketplaces or visual content workflow software to serve the enterprise, but starting upmarket or software only has turned out to be a challenging approach. Counterintuitively and surprisingly, even to the Snapper team, the right approach seems to be to start by building out a self-service on-demand photography marketplace serving mainly consumers and then to work up to enterprises. Somehow, in 2017, that marketplace opportunity was still wide open. In the era of on-demand everything, booking a photographer was still a nightmare. I experienced it myself. Now, if you've had to book a family photo shoot recently, this story might sound familiar. It was shocking to me. I almost snapped. In the fall of 2020, about a month after Deb was born, I decided it would be a nice idea to book a photographer to do a family photo shoot. I searched on Google, found someone with pretty good reviews nearby, and hopped on a call with her. She seemed nice and the price was okay, something like 300 bucks. A little expensive, but for a couple hours and hundreds of pictures of our little man that we'd get to use for Christmas cards and keep and cherish forever, not bad. On the day of the shoot, we drove to a park all dressed up in our matching outfits. We met the photographer, we'll call her Sally, which is not her real name, and she was lovely. Throughout the shoot, she showed us previews of the pictures and they were great. What a day. 
At the end of the session, as we were saying our goodbyes and getting ready to go home, Sally asked us when we wanted to schedule a Zoom to see the pictures. Oh no, that's okay, I said. It's 2020. You should be able to just put them in a Dropbox and send them over to us. Thanks. I can't do that, Sally said ominously, a shadow darkening her face. Turns out, the price that we paid for the photo shoot didn't actually include the photos. That was separate. We'd have to buy the prints. Well, what if we just want the digital versions, I inquired. Nope. We'd only get the digital version of whichever physical prints we bought, and each physical print cost a minimum of $150. I don't get mad often, but I was fucking fuming. I went home and rechecked the price list in my emails with Sally. Neither the price list nor Sally ever said that we would have to pay per photo to get digital access to the photos. We'd been bamboozled. It was a racket, but what could you do? Not keep those memories? I gave in and bought four prints and a 25-pack of Christmas cards. It cost $799.69. Nice, but not nice. In addition to the $300 that we paid up front. I even kept the receipt to prove it, and I never keep the receipt. It was that jarring of an experience, partially because it's such an uncommon one at this point. Today, practically everything that consumers spend money on is mediated through an online platform with full price transparency. We complain about Airbnb's cleaning fees or DoorDash's delivery fees, but we know about them before hitting the buy button. Price transparency is table stakes. So last July, I was in the right state of mind when my friend Lon, who runs Basis Set uh, and is also a Not Boring Capital LP, asked me if I wanted to meet Matt Schiller, the CEO of one of the fastest growing and most fascinating businesses in our portfolio, Snapper. Snapper started its life in the U.S. in 2017 as a B2C photography marketplace. I don't know how I missed them when I was doing my photographer research, but it was exactly what I needed. I mean, online booking, price transparency, all-inclusive pricing. If I'd booked with Snapper, the whole thing would have cost me less than a quarter of what Sally cost. As a consumer, that's exactly what I needed. But as a professional newsletter writer who needs to write about new models, a B2C photography marketplace probably wouldn't be enough to do the trick. The Web2 marketplace model is tried and true. I even dunked on it a little when I wrote about brain trust last week. If Snapper were following the familiar B2C marketplace playbook, build up supply and demand, win the market, raise take rates by raising fees on both sides, we probably wouldn't be here talking about it today. But we are here. So what's up? Snapper is running a B2C to B to PLG model to perfection and writing a new playbook. Haven't heard of the B2C to B to PLG model before? That's probably because I just made it up. I should explain. Snapper has two business lines, Snapper Shoots and Snapper Workflows. Snapper Shoots is a photography marketplace business that's, that's open access, self-service, and asks customers to book and pay for one shoot at a time. It's a consumer-like experience whose revenue is roughly two-thirds consumer and one-thirds business, mainly S&B. Snapper Workflows is the visual content SaaS and infrastructure offering for enterprises. With Workflows, enterprises can automate their visual content pipeline from beginning to end with Snapper's APIs and source, edit, and manage visual content in bulk. Workflows is a bold expansion. In four years, Snapper has become the leading on-demand photography marketplace. It's processed over 120 million photos and edited more than 40 million of them. Its network covers 90% of the U.S. population, 95% of Canada, 88% of the U.K., and 77% of Australia, among others. Its revenue has grown at a 14% compound monthly growth rate since it started earning money in 2018. Its gross merchandise value is in the tens of millions of dollars, and it captures strong percentage of, strong percentage of that revenue. The company has raised $13 million and has only spent a fraction of it to accomplish all of that. And the majority of the company's revenue now comes from enterprise. Two-thirds of the company's revenue now comes from B2B use cases more broadly. The company could have kept its head down and built a really nice photography marketplace business. Instead, 
It's taking all of the resources it's built up and launching Snapper workflows. It's SaaS and API product aimed at the enterprise clients who demand it and the mid-market clients Snapper hasn't yet been able to serve. The secret to Snapper's success is that the Shoots business feeds the workflows business in four main ways. One, it solves the chicken and egg problem for enterprises. Enterprises need national supply, photographers and editors, overnight, which is impossible to build on its own. When they call, you need to be ready or you blow your chance. So you might try to build up the supply network ahead of demand, but then supply gets burned waiting around with no work. Self-service demand fills that gap. Two, self-service increases liquidity. The higher density the bookings are in an area, the stronger the network effects. There's more supply density, less photographer travel time, and a greater chance of matching the right photographer to the right booking. Three, it keeps photographers happy. Most photographers like being able to mix it up and do B2C and enterprise shoots in the same day. And four, shoots is the biggest channel for workflows. 48% of Workflows Enterprise customers today made a self-service booking with Shoots before becoming Workflows customers. The last point is where that lovely acronym B2C to B to PLG comes from. People who book Shoots, both as consumers and for their businesses, end up becoming the fuel for Snapper's Workflows, product-led growth engine, and often grow into larger enterprise accounts. And Workflows is a game changer for Snapper's business. It turns the product from an on-demand to API first like a Zapier for the visual content pipeline. Snapper's story is an accidental playbook for building an API-first business backwards. So today, we'll dive into the evolution by covering started down under, now we here. Two, was the picture clear from the beginning? Three, B2C to B2PLG. And four, snapping into focus. So grab a Foster's, throw some shrimp on the bobby, and let's hop to a land down under. I'm, I'm very, very, very sorry. Started down under, now we here. Somehow, certain pockets of the world become really good at producing things that, on the surface, have nothing to do with their environs. Japan is unmatched at turning out valuable media franchises, with five of the top ten highest grossing of all time, including the number one, Pokemon, and number two, Hello Kitty. The Nordics produce a disproportionate share of hit video games, including Candy Crush and Angry Birds. Goals is next, and they're also excellent at EDM there. Australia's superpower might be visual content software. Sitting in sixth place of the world's most valuable startups with a $40 billion valuation right next to giants like ByteDance, SpaceX, Stripe, and Epic is a graphic design platform founded in 2013 in Perth, Australia, Canva. Snapper is going to be the next Aussie visual content software atop that global leaderboard. Matt Schiller was born in the outback on a little farm 15 minutes outside of a little town of 3,000 people called Hay. Growing up, Matt wanted to be a doctor. When it was time for uni, he went to the University of New South Wales, or US, UNSW Sydney, which matter-of-factly calls itself, quote, one of the best universities in Australia in its Google search preview. At UNSW Sydney, Matt studied philosophy and medicine, graduating with a BA in philosophy, a Bachelor of Medicine, and a Bachelor of Surgery. He also took an elective term at, in neurosurgery at Oxford and received a graduate certificate in tertiary teaching from Curtin University, Slacker. With all that education, the moment during his educational journey that had the biggest impacts on Matt career, Matt's career ultimately was the last one. Seeing his mom's emotional reaction to his medical school graduation pictures, hold that thought. Before going to residency, Matt decided to do two non-doctory things. One, he co-founded Gowndown, which is now Australia's largest online university graduation retailer. And two, he took a 12-month break to follow his wave of friends going into consulting. For his gap year, Matt joined McKinsey to see the world travel around and work in healthcare from the business side. By year two, he deferred residency again and started doing non-medical consulting work. 
By year three, when McKinsey sent him to the U.S. to work on tech and education clients, he realized that he was never going back to being a doctor. Instead, he refocused on Gowntown and realized, both thinking like a consultant and remembering his mom's graduation emotions, that there was an even bigger adjacent opportunity. Graduation photography. Snapper was born. Was the picture clear from the start? So let's pause for a second. Whenever I see a strategy that looks brilliantly constructed, I try to figure out whether it was all part of the plan from the beginning. Sometimes companies go to great lengths to tell a coherent narrative that makes the company's history look like the unfolding of a masterfully orchestrated master plan. That's rarely the case. In Stapper's case, all the ingredients were there for a smart consultant to piece together. There was the market trend. Digital photos were becoming a bigger part of both consumers' and businesses' identities. The internet had become more visual. Airbnb was a case study for the value of high-quality photography. People and businesses alike would need and be willing to pay for higher-quality photos. Then there was the market structure. I didn't know this until Matt told me, but there was only one services industry more fragmented pre-marketplaces than the photography industry, and that's taxis. Putting a digital marketplace on top of that industry resulted in multiple multi-decabillion dollar companies, including Uber, Lyft, and Didi. Unlike those companies, though, who would need to await the arrival of self-driving cars to produce software margins, the margin expansion opportunities for photography were manifold, from editing to storage to asset management to distribution. You just need to grab the consumer market as a wedge, build up liquidity, write some code, sell the whole package to enterprises, and Bob's your uncle. Well, I got to ask Matt directly whether that was the plan all along to go from B2C to B2B to SaaS and infrastructure. And the answer was a resounding Australian-accented no, or no. I am so sorry. Again, I do link to a video in the post of an Australian woman actually teaching how to pronounce no in, in Australian. So just go watch that instead of listening to me. Anyway, through his experience running downtown, Matt just saw that there might be an opportunity to build a marketplace for graduation photographers. Then McKinsey moved him to the U.S., and when he got here, he said he started thinking bigger. Instead of just graduation photography, Snapper wanted to make it easy to book any professional photographer on demand. They applied and got into Y Combinator. At that point, what the B2C product would become was actually pretty clear. In the February 2017 TechCrunch article announcing Snapper's YC acceptance, they laid out the customer value prop that has remained central to the shoot's product today. On-demand, affordable, high-quality, and transparent. The article also mentioned that Snapper only accepts 5% of the photographers who apply to work on the platform. When I spoke to Matt recently, he said that they still only accept about one in 10 photographers who apply in New York City after a four-stage vetting process that includes looking at a photographer's portfolio and equipment piece by piece. Photographers who do get approved get approved on a use case by use case basis. So I might be really good at taking pictures of burgers, but horrible at taking pictures of babies. So Snapper won't let me near the little ones. Matt told me that particularly in big cities, most of the photographers come inbound thanks to Snapper's strong brand recognition and word of mouth from other photographers. They're attracted by what they don't have to do, sales and marketing, back and forth with clients, billing, and by the higher effective rates they make through Snapper. Importantly for both sides, Snapper tips the traditional photography IP model on its head. Snapper sometimes charges more upfront than other photographers, like our friend Sally, but that price includes everything. So instead of charging some low rate to lure you in and then charging for the photos, Snapper does what any logical person in the whole entire world would imagine that they would do. They give one price upfront, plus a small trust and safety fee. That price comes with all the photos from the shoot, as it should. B2C was the plan coming out of YC in early 2017, and it was the plan when Snapper announced a $2 million seed round from firms including Airtree Ventures, which is Australia's top venture fund, 
and angels like Zynga's Justin Waldron and Google Maps's Lars Rasmussen in September 2017. At the time, TechCrunch explained why people were willing to pay for photography. They said, in today's Instagram-first world, good photos are more important than ever. And like it or not, for some people, a big part of spending money on fancy meals and experiences is the chance to share it with their social networks. So if you're that person, why not spend an extra $59 on Snapper Photographer to make sure the photos are top-notch? And FYI, the lowest price package I can find now is $89. Thanks, inflation. Of the 5,000 or so bookings Snapper had done at the time, the most popular types were internal company events, which is kind of SMB B2B, or family birthday parties, B2C. But, quote, they've also had a demand for profile picture photo shoots for LinkedIn or dating apps like Bumble and Tinder. And you laugh, but I've been using the same headshot that Room took for an article in 2018 ever since, and I would gladly pay someone on Snapper to take a new one, and will as soon as I lose, like, two to 10 pounds. Anyway, the first few quarters that Snapper generated revenue, it all came from the self-service business. The company started doing real revenue in Q2 2018 and doubled it again by Q4 2018, all of it still from the self-service product. And then something curious happened. Enterprises started beating down their doors. They pushed it off for a couple quarters because the business wasn't designed to do the kind of volume that enterprises needed to do. But this is a YC company after all. So finally, they took Paul Graham's advice. He said, half the advice I give to startups is some form of, quote, talk to your customers. For what it's worth, the other half of the advice was don't steal $3.6 billion worth of Bitcoin, but not everyone listens. When Snapper did start talking to potential enterprise customers, they realized something incredible. The enterprise customers were often people who had used the product as consumers. They loved Snapper so much more than whatever their company was doing for photography that they wanted to use Snapper at work. The team decided to run a test of a more enterprisey product. They called it a crappy MVP. Customers loved it. Enterprise usage started to become a substantial piece of the business in 2019. It was largely similar to Snapper's consumer business, except that enterprises needed more photographers and centralized editing, so Snapper expanded its network and built an in-house photo editing operation. Snapper's enterprise business at that point was a pleasant bonus. The unit economics and retention were incredible. Many enterprise customers came in and still come in through the self-service business meaning that blended customer acquisition costs, or CAC, are much lower than they would be without the self-service business. It was a really nice cherry on top. And then COVID hit, and the cherry became a lifesaver. When COVID hit, as expected, self-service revenue fell off a cliff. People weren't having parties or in-person graduations or doing much of anything that involved interacting with another person. Matt saw the early signs and prepared Snapper to hunker down and weather the storm. The company laid off 25 employees, and they prepared for the worst and the worst never came. It was the opposite, in fact. While consumer bookings fell off a cliff, enterprise demand started to take off. It was puzzling at first, but it was obvious in hindsight. COVID, as we all have heard thousands of times, accelerated the shift to e-commerce. Product photography is the lifeblood of e-commerce. Everything that was offline moved online, and all of it needed pictures. During COVID, enterprise became the majority of Snapper's business, and it's remained that way ever since. Even as a self-service segment has bounced back. Snapper rehired all of the positions it eliminated and added a bunch of new ones. And there are tons of open roles, and I linked to their jobs page in the post at notboring.co. Far from failing, Snapper announced a $10 million Series A led by Basis Set with participation from YC and Katarina Fake's Yes Ventures. Fake knows the space well. She founded Flickr. Turns out, the self-service business doesn't just translate into enterprise business. It leads to investment, too. Lana Basis said, told me how she came to lead Snapper's A. She said, I found, my, I found Snapper at my then four-year-old friend Cora's party. 
I was surprised that a group of four-year-olds had a professional photographer taking shots at a random gathering. It turns out that mom Teresa works at Airbnb and had found out about this new company called Snapper, which provides an Airbnb-like experience. And Teresa also later invested in the company. The next day, I got a beautifully designed album and a very easy-to-use intelligent workflow. I was very impressed, and I reached out to Matt Cold. There's a lesson in there. A great consumer product, as part of a larger offering, can be marketing that pays you. The long and short of it is that Snapper emerged from 2020 with a pile of cash and sitting on a gold mine with a new twist on a bunch of popular models. B to C to PLG. Making a product so good that the individual employees inside a company want to use it enough that they push their companies to buy it isn't new. It goes by many names, bottoms-up sales, product-led growth, B2C to B. It's the model that propelled Slack, Dropbox, Notion, Figma, and Zoom to great heights, and as a result, is the model that many, many SaaS companies employ today. Putting a structure around listening to product-led customers and turning them into actionable leads in order to grow the accounts isn't new either. It's called product-led sales. Twilio famously didn't think that they needed a sales team because of their PLG motion until they lost the Uber account. They quickly learned to turn to self-serve leads into sales targets. Building something internally and then selling it to customers isn't new either. It's how Amazon ended up with AWS and how Privacy.com ended up launching Lithic. Consumers pushing their companies to officially use a marketplace product that they use and love as consumers isn't new. Uber for business and Airbnb for business are real things. Finally, treating individuals Inside a company as ambassadors for a consumer product also is not new. Seamless Web grew its B2C business as its clients' employees used it and shared it personally. Although not boring capital portfolio company ShareByte is eating its lunch in the office now. The last two shouldn't be surprising. Businesses are full of consumers and most consumers work for businesses. Serve their needs in one context and there may be an opportunity in the other. But where Snapper has ended up by following its customers feels new like a combination of all of the above. One, consumers use Snapper's on-demand product. Two, they loved it enough to use it at work too. Three, Snapper built new internal tools to handle the increased demand from companies. Four, Snapper sells those tools to enterprise customers as a combination of SaaS and API-first product. And five, enterprises start to use the software alone in order to work with existing or user-generated content. Enterprise clients expanded Snapper's market dramatically, from photography to visual content more broadly. Snapper estimates the market size for visual marketing content is roughly $300 billion. Enterprise clients also pulled new products out of Snapper. The company had already wedged itself into the beginning of a very fragmented visual content pipeline. Humans book photo shoots, manually select images and videos from those shoots, edit them, drag them back and forth between files, and make sure they get to the right place in the app or on Instagram wherever they're needed. Working with high-volume enterprise clients like Instacart, DoorDash, and Bring a Trailer, Having to do each one of those steps up to distribution on their behalf, Snapper built internal tools to make everything run more smoothly. They built automated ways to trigger photographer bookings from business events, AI-powered photo editing tools to lighten the load on their in-house editing team, software to manage quality control and distribution, and software to tie it all together and make it run smoothly. Then last year, they started letting clients use pieces of that stack. And as of this month, they rolled it out as a comprehensive product line, Snapper Workflows. With the launch, Snapper is expanding from a labor-powered marketplace enabled by software into a software business backed by a labor-powered marketplace. Now, the businesses that use Snapper for photography and editing on demand can buy software from Snapper to handle their entire visual content workflow, from idea to live on-site. Workflows integrate with software clients use already, from Salesforce to Photoshop to Amazon S3. 
Clients can create workflows using their existing tools and snappers. For example, for one of the big food delivery apps, the flow might look like new restaurant onboarded, to book photo shoot, to edit photos, to post to sheets for approval, to post to app. Snapper can execute all of it with a mixture of people and software. Every image come back, comes back tagged and indexed. Clients can also pick and choose which pieces they want to utilize. Some, for example, use Snapper to edit user-generated content, mixing the authenticity of UGC with the quality of professionally edited photography. In that case, Snapper is mainly software. With a content pipeline and AI-powered editing, augmented by human editors to get things just right. Like scale, over time, AI will be able to handle a larger percentage of the flow, improving Snapper's margins. Already, more automations means that Snapper can charge lower prices, opening up the mid-market. Five years into the journey, having survived COVID, the launch of workflows represents a new chapter for Snapper, an opportunity to accelerate already eye-popping growth, and the last piece of a new business model, snapping into focus. None of Snapper's journey was planned to work out like this, but it's working out nicely. Let's recap. Snapper launched out of Y Combinator in 2017. It's raised $13 million and spent a fraction of it. It evolved from a graduation photography company to a B2C marketplace for on-demand professional photography, to a B2C and B2B marketplace for on-demand professional photography and editing, to a SaaS and visual content infrastructure suite, plus B2C and B2B marketplace for on-demand professional photography and editing. Stafford believes that visual content is the electricity that powers the internet and that it's building the poles and wires. Less than two years ago, Snapper was only one piece of that flow, sourcing. And even that was threatened by COVID. Today, it can orchestrate the whole flow, sourcing, manipulation, storage, asset management, enrichment, quality control, and distribution. And it's working really, really well. I post a graph in the post at notboring.co of their revenue growth, and you should really check it out. It's it's a sight to see. Snapper is maintaining its 14% month-over-month growth rate, even as it grows off a bigger base. As more of the bars turn red, or you know, if you're not looking at the graph, that's as more of the revenue turns to enterprise, it means that more of Snapper's revenue is sweet, sweet SaaS revenue, and that it's improving margins without needing to extract more take rate from photographers and consumers. Instead, Snapper has created a model that aligns incentives with its consumer customers and photographers. Snapper Shoots is lead gen for Snapper workflows. The effective LTV of each customer is so much higher than it would be in a traditional marketplace because each consumer comes with some probability of converting to a sticky, high-revenue, high-margin workflows client. I would imagine that in some business-heavy markets, Snapper could actually subsidize the cost of shoots well below market rates in order to acquire more workflows customers. In that case, consumers win, Snapper wins, and workflows clients who can consolidate spend and receive a more cohesive product offering win. I always get to this point in the essay, my optimism firing on all cylinders, amazed by what these entrepreneurs have been able to accomplish and forget to talk about the downsides or risks. In most cases, I don't find the downsides that interesting. There's that Tolstoy quote from Anna Karenina, all happy families are alike, each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And I think it's kind of the opposite for startups. Nearly all startup risks are alike. Each startup is successful. Each successful startup is successful in its own way. Companies face two main types of risk, market and execution. And if they're lucky, a third, competition. For Snapper, the risk is obvious, execution. Building a marketplace business and operating it at scale is really hard. It's hard to keep both sides of the market happy. It's hard to maintain quality. What happens when there's so much demand that Snapper needs to drop its quality bar from the top 10% of applicants to the top 20%? Building good SaaS and APIs is really hard. 
Snapper is dealing with huge volumes of big files and thousands of unique client workflows and brand guidelines and quirks. Its DNA is as a marketplace company. Success in one does not guarantee success in the other. And growing really fast is hard. There are product challenges and organizational challenges, and everything gets complex really, really fast. Building both businesses simultaneously while growing 14% every month then is an absurdly difficult challenge. The flip side, though, is that if Snapper gets it all right or gets enough of it right to keep moving and listening to customers and iterating, it has the opportunity to become the infrastructure for visual content. Because even though Snapper was born as a marketplace, it has most of the hallmarks of a good API-first business. Photos are mission critical to modern digital businesses, but they're non-core. They're in that API-first sweet spot. While API businesses look like pure software businesses on the surface, the big ones are just hiding a bunch of hard, dirty grunt work under the surface. As I wrote in APIs all the way down, the magic of companies like Stripe and Twilio is that in addition to elegant software, they do the schlep work in the real world that other people don't want to do. Stripe does software plus compliance, regulatory risk, and bank partnerships. Twilio does software plus carrier and telco deals across the world, deliverability optimization, and unification of all customer communication touchpoints. Snapper does a photography marketplace, photo editing, logistics, storage, plus software. They've come at it from the opposite direction, for similar reasons, I think, that toilets flush backwards in Australia. But the opportunity is every bit as massive. What Twilio did for communications, Segment did for customer analytics, and Plaid did for financial data, Snapper wants to do for visual content. Picture this. From a need for visual content to perfectly edited photos in just a few lines of code. Say cheese. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening, and I will talk to you on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. And she said, Do you come from a land down under?